Uh, but we're going to get right into our message today. If you want to open up to the book of Matthew, we're in Matthew 2. And uh, I feel like it, it's been a while since I've done this. Uh, if you're new in the last couple of weeks, uh, I'm the normal guy, uh, the normal boring guy that does this week after week. Uh, I've been out for a few weeks now, three weeks, three Sundays. Uh, we welcomed our second child, Selah Hope. Uh, she was born on November 25th, and uh, it's been just a real blessing to adjust to that. And we're all here today, so that's, uh, you know, a miracle that we're, we're all here. So uh, it's been going, going really good. So we appreciate that and the time we've had and the prayers from you guys. We're, we're so appreciative of all of that. Uh, but we're going to be doing today uh, what, uh, if you were in Sunday school uh, in one of the children's classes or others, so we're, we, you studied that there already, the, the three wise men, the account of the wise men out of Matthew 2, and really this is a theme around coming and worshiping, and we can call it the account of the wise men because this is all we have. You know, it's kind of this mysterious story of these wise men that show up to worship the child Jesus. And what we have in these 12 verses is all we know about the wise men. And what I've found out about this story is the more you study it, the more it's going to challenge you. And if you're one like us that has a manger scene at home, you're probably setting that up. Uh, for Mason, he has his own little play school uh, manger scene, and he likes to spice it up at times and add you know, the dinosaur or the Hot Wheels and things like that. And it's not quite accurate, but... But you look at this manger scene, you're like, wow, that'd be this nice moment of this newborn infant Jesus, and the shepherds come, and then, you know, the wise men come to the manger, and they're all worshiping Jesus together, and what a beautiful, peaceful moment under the star of Bethlehem. And if you study Matthew 2, there's some of you who are kind of shifting around in your chairs, and the words you want to say are, well, actually... And that's that the story of Matthew 2 can be is the well-actually story. Because you find out that this challenges you in a lot of ways. And, and one of it are the details that we pass down through tradition. And you might say, well, actually, we don't know if they were kings. We call them the three kings, but the scripture never says they were kings. It says they were magi or wise men. And it's just that we've assumed that they were kings or it's passed down through tradition. Well, actually, we don't know if there were three. The scripture never says there were three. We, we think there's three because there's three gifts, but there could have been two. There could have been ten. There could have been a hundred. And actually, Matthew 2 says that Jesus wasn't an infant when, he, when they got there. He's actually a child, which in the Greek means he's probably one or maybe two years old. So actually, that means that the wise men weren't even at the manger at all. Uh, they, they visited them in a house in, in Bethlehem. There's no mention of the Magi at the manger. And so actually, that means that the star wasn't in the manger scene. The star traveled with the wise men to Bethlehem. And so the star didn't appear until Jesus was one or two years old. And if you're one that reads this story, and that's your takeaways from all this, uh, there's a reason you're not invited to many parties. Uh, <laughs> But I'm not by no means advocating we need to stay away from biblical accuracy because all of what I just said is true. We've kind of blurred the details over the years through traditions. But we can't be so focused on the details that we miss the point. 
The point of this story of the wise men is absolutely the entirety of the spirit of Christmas. That Jesus came to earth as a baby and a child and would grow up. That there's people who sought him, who found him, and who worshipped him. And that is absolutely at the core of the story of the wise men today. So if you're there already, we're going to read through these 12 verses. Again, the only 12 verses we know about the wise men we're going to read together today. But just pray with me quickly before we read God's word. So God, we thank you for this story, a story that will challenge us in many ways. But God, I pray that we in our hearts can discover the true point of this, that you did come to earth, that we can seek you and find you, and that ultimately we can worship you as Lord and Savior and King. So God, today I I pray that you would just reinvigorate us a sense of awe and wonder of your Christmas story, and that ultimately, God, it will lead to us worshiping you with joy. And so God, speak to us this time through your Holy Spirit, and bless this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's read together here, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So as quickly and mysteriously as they appear, they disappear. And I don't know about you, but when I read a story like this, I end with a lot of questions that, frankly, I don't think could ever be answered. Who were these people? How did they know to follow this star? Where did they come from? Where did they go? It's not like a song like, where did they come from? Where did they go? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's not a Christmas song. But so many questions aren't answered. But what's amazing about God's word is when you study it, all the questions that you need answered are answered. And so for as much as we don't know, there's some really important things that we do know. One thing we know, and a point we can take out of this story, is that the truly wise will seek 
Jesus. And we're introduced to a few characters in the first couple verses here. But we know that this is after Jesus was born. How much time after, we don't know. Weeks, months, most think about a year, maybe two. But this, this story that we celebrate is typically celebrated on Epiphany uh, Day, which is 12 days after Christmas. So it's, it's well accepted, as the scripture reads, that this was after Jesus was born and he's found in a house. But the three characters we see here are the Magi, King Herod, and Jesus. The Magi, now this is typically translated as wise men, and this is from the word that we get magician, but don't think like David Copperfield. Uh, Magi here just means like people who are naturally curious. These are students and scholars. They were students, in this case, of the stars. Were they kings? Well, it's possible. We don't know that. Tradition says that they were kings from three different regions, and their names were Melchiorah, Belthazar, and Gaspar. Is that true? We don't know. But what we do know is that they came from a distance away. And when it says that they were from the east, this is probably referring to the areas of Persia or Babylon, 800, 900, maybe 1,000 miles away. And what this means is that they made no small trip here. They took a great step of faith to go seek this child king, Jesus. They were all in when they made this trip. We know that they were people of prominence, that they weren't lowly people, that in a worldly sense they had it made in the shade. They had everything they need, but they knew one thing they didn't have, the child king, Jesus. And so they're coming in this, this trip of humility and desperation to meet this child king. We also know that they weren't Jewish people. Okay? These were Gentiles from faraway people. These were pagans. And they would have been despised by the Jews. But here they are, under God's grace, being prompted to find the child king, Jesus. These magi, in many ways, represent all of us here today. People who have to humble themselves to recognize their need, to come in great faith to Jesus, and know that we may not be worthy, but we are welcomed. Now we see the man, King Herod, known as Herod the Great. He came into rule about 40 years before Jesus was born, and he was not a great man, though he is known as great. Uh, he was known as Herod the Great because of his ability to, to build huge structures all around the land of Judea. But he was a terrible king. He was jealous. He was paranoid. He killed anyone that got in his way, including family members and friends. And he manipulated his way into being king of Judah. He was the earthly king of Judah, but he was a terrible king to the people. And we also see Jesus, the one born king of the Jews, Nobody else has ever been born a king. That in any system, you may be born a prince, but you're never born a king. So no one before or after Jesus was born king of the Jews. And so they knew that this was not just another child, that he was special, that he was unique. And this sets up their reaction later when they finally find the child Jesus, the child king Jesus. We also see the star here. And the star is something that can be overlooked. It wasn't just a normal star in the night sky. It was something very special. We don't know what. There's many theories. It could have been a comet. It could have been a cluster of planets. It could have been a supernova. 
Uh, but it, it appears, though, that this was a miracle. Okay, and a miracle is a term that we throw around lightly. Like I said, it was a miracle that my family all got here today, though I did forget my keys. So uh, I got the family. I forgot the keys to the church. But at least I didn't forget a child. All right. If you watched yesterday's Vikings game, that was kind of a miracle, right? How many of you watched that game yesterday? Yeah? Okay, how many of you watched the game after you shut it off at halftime yesterday? Yeah, that's probably the more honest answer. Was anyone at the game yesterday? No. Phil? <laughs> Kelly? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that was, in many ways, a miracle, but it wasn't too unique. I think they, they did win the record for the biggest comeback ever, but uh, it was only by one point. So at some point, that'll probably be broken. But this star was truly a miracle. There was nothing ever like it before and never, nothing like it since. This star moved with the wise men to point them over Beth, at Bethlehem to the child Jesus. And my favorite theory is that this is actually not a star, but the glory of God. That when Jesus was born, the glory of God shone on the, uh, the shepherds and it blinded them, right? And I believe that that same glory, that same light that led the shepherds to Jesus led the wise men to Jesus as well. But in this, we see the purpose of the trip, why they were seeking Jesus, because they came to worship him. And that's the point of this whole story, that when they saw the star, his star, which means that Jesus owns everything, they came to worship. This shows that the gospel, throughout the gospel of Matthew, that Jesus came first for the Jews, but then for all people. The first to come to worship Jesus in the gospel of Matthew were the Gentiles, the pagans, the ones that in, in most of our minds didn't deserve to be there, but they were welcomed and invited. Here they are at the end of their trip. They're in Jerusalem, and they're asking around to everyone where is this newborn king that we traveled this great distance to come see? Jerusalem, the center of Jewish worship. They're asking around, and all they get is shoulder shrugs and blank stares. What are these crazy people talking about, the king of the Jews? Nobody knows where Jesus is because they weren't seeking him. And that's where we see the second point of this whole story is that there are foolish people who rejected Jesus. Now, these wise men made this trip from hundreds or thousands of miles away, and the people of Jerusalem, they're only five or six miles away, that's like from here to Long Lake, didn't make the trip to see the newborn King Jesus. There will always be the foolish people who reject Jesus. And Jesus himself said that there will be many who reject him. But here we see the reaction of King Herod, that he was disturbed by this news and all Jerusalem with him. There's always been some who are threatened by Jesus. And the word disturbed here is actually a pretty strong word. This means that he was in great turmoil, or he was terrified, or in our modern-day language, he was freaking out that he's hearing about this newborn king of the Jews. So the, the Magi hadn't made it to Herod yet, but enough people have been hearing from the Magi that now King Herod is hearing about it secondhand. It says that all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Now, this may not mean like literally every single person in Jerusalem, but this probably means the high-ranking officials, the religious leaders of Jerusalem, were disturbed. Why were they so disturbed about these men asking for Jesus, asking for this newborn king of the Jews? Well, it's because I don't think they were very stupid. 
they knew that they were asking for the Messiah, the promised one. And rather than viewing this as a place of hope, they're viewing Jesus as a person of competition. They were threatened. Jesus came to give us life to the full, but they viewed him as an interruption to their life. And many people continue to be disturbed by Jesus today. They don't want to hear his name. They don't want to acknowledge him as Lord. Because if they do so, that means that they're going to have to give up something of themselves. They view Jesus as an interruption, as a threat to their way of life. Jesus was rejected by many. And it starts here, even as he was in a child in a town five or six miles away. But it wasn't just straight up rejection of him. There was also an indifference to him. And we see that Herod had called all of the chief priests and the teachers of the law together and asked them, now here he uses the word Messiah. I don't think that the wise men had used that word yet. So he knows who they're asking for. Where is this Messiah going to be born? And do you know the answer that they gave him? The exact correct one. They had all of the knowledge of where Jesus was to be born. They weren't ignorant about Jesus. They were indifferent about him. They knew their Bible, and they quoted to King Herod, Micah 5, 2. And it shows that many who reject Jesus might have absolutely everything they need, all the knowledge they need, but knowledge without application is foolishness. You might know everything. You might have everything you need to come to, uh, to Jesus, but until you actually seek him, you will never truly know Jesus for who he is. Jesus said this himself in many different ways, but probably the best in uh, John 5. He's talking now to these same kinds of people, the chief priests and the scribes, the teachers of the laws. Jesus said, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. You might know all of the answers. You might have this book memorized from top to bottom, but until you come to Jesus and you seek him, you don't have Jesus. So notice this contrast between the Magi and the priests and the scribes here. The Magi were Gentiles. They were the have-nots. They were the ones that in an earthly lens did not deserve to be there. But the priests and the scribes were the Jews, right? Jesus came as king of the Jews. The Magi had this great distance to go. The priests and the scribes had from here to Long Lake to go. The Magi, no scriptures to guide them that we're aware of. The priests and the scribes had all of the answers they needed. But the Magi responded with faith and with worship. And the priests and the scribes responded with indifference and unbelief. And the contrast between those two is not good or bad. It is heaven or hell. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. And it's possible to have everything you could ever imagine in this world, but until you have Jesus, you have nothing. And until you seek him, you won't find him. We see now this example of Herod, of one who is very deceitful, where he's giving all the right answers, saying the right words, but his heart is totally in the wrong spot as he's rejecting Jesus. 
He calls in these magi, and he's like, okay, tell me more about this star. How long ago did it appear? Because he's trying to get the intel to figure out how old his competition is, right? And then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, because once you find him, let me know. I want to go worship this guy too. You might just read this verse and be like, wow, Herod is kind of a good dude. Like, you give him a lot of bad press, but he seems nice here. This is all a complete, bold-faced lie. And Herod really was like the original Grinch that tried to steal Christmas. All right? He had every intention to find Jesus and kill Jesus. And this goes to show that some can pretend kindness and they can, they can say all of the right things. But if your heart is not filled with worship, you're not authentic before God. And, and Jesus warned that there be many who appear good, that there be wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing. But the only way to know who's real before God is if you have worship in your heart. If Herod was truly seeking Jesus, he would have asked these questions long ago, and he would have made that short trip to go find him. They were not drawn to Jesus. They were threatened by him. Now, the, the true story of Christmas is not about knowing the stories and, and saying the things, but it's, it's believing that Jesus has come, that you seek him, that you find him, and that you worship him. And that's how we end out the story today. Now we see the culmination of all of this, of the Magi now seeing the star move once again and rest over the small town of Bethlehem. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now again, irrelevant to this story is not when they showed up or where in Bethlehem they showed up, but how they showed up. That when the wise men showed up before Jesus, they were overjoyed. Christmas is a story of joy. And this is, again, a word that's maybe underplayed as we translate it into our language. Uh, the word for overjoyed is actually four Greek words together, which literally say, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So also, they were freaking out with joy. Joy upon joy upon joy that they were seeking this child king and they found him. There's an overwhelming joy in finding Jesus. And sometimes we lose that joy as we get old and we develop this bah humbug or ho-hum attitude. But joy is a part of the Christian life. And maybe this year more than ever, you need to pray as David did, that God would restore unto you the joy of your salvation. True worship of God is always accompanied by joy, because Christ the King is born. And this is good news that will cause great joy for all of the peoples. They also come before him with a, a, this position of reverence and humility. They bowed down and worshiped him. Right now, these are, are people uh, of eminence. And now they're bowing before a child and worshiping him. This is really communicating, I am nothing and you are everything. They know that Jesus is superior and they are inferior. And this is something we can also get wrong at times in kind of uh, 
Scandinavian Minnesota, right? Or, or sorry, just it's just where we are. Like you know, that's the joy thing. We we get that wrong in Scandinavian Minnesota, but but kind of we get casual in the evangelical world. Is what I meant to say. We're going to view Jesus as buddy-buddy. He's just a good friend of mine, but he is king, right? And we come before him with reverence, reverence and humility as they did. But they didn't stop there. They also gave him these great treasures. They opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which are very odd gifts for a child, right? Now, I've, I've, I've had a, a two-year-old at Christmas, and I know when he gets, like, the pair of socks or the pair of underwear, it's kind of like a, thanks. You know, he sets that aside and give me the Hot Wheels. Come on. So these are the kinds of things that a child wouldn't be impressed with, but it's not always what the gift is, but what the gift communicates. And this, for them, was their very best. These were very expensive gifts, which is a lesson for all of us that we're not to give God our leftovers or our half-efforts, or our afterthoughts, but God deserves our very best. And gold here in this case really emphasized the royalty of Jesus. Now, the greatness of most kings up to this point was measured by their wealth, and it was always a counting of how much gold they had. And Solomon, who was the wealthiest person who ever lived, there's a whole chapter devoted to basically telling you how much gold he had. And there was a custom of the time that when a king came into power, it was the reality that they were owed all of the gold of the land. And here we have these dignitaries from a far-off place come and saying that you are truly the king of all kings, and you deserve all of our gold. Jesus was born a king. They gave him the gift of frankincense, which is kind of like, you know, incense that you'd burn in the temple. And this is closely associated with worship. And they're also emphasizing his deity. Now, Jesus was born as the Son of God. You might think he's only one or two years old at this point, but Jesus is like forever old at this point. Jesus had always existed that there was this, this child who was, in his very nature, God. And myrrh emphasized the humanity. He was fully God, yet he was fully man. Myrrh was an oil that was used for anointing, and many times it was used to anoint bodies for death. Myrrh was offered to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross mixed with wine. And so here we see that he's offered myrrh as a king in a cradle. He's also offered myrrh as a king on the cross seems they understood what Jesus came to do, that he would be living a life of pain and suffering and ultimately sacrifice. But they worshipped him by giving gifts that were costly. But they also worshipped him, as we see this last verse, through obedience. And this can be overlooked of what actually happened here, but they were warned by God in a dream not to go back and report to Herod all that they'd seen, but to avoid that and to reject the orders of the king and go back to the country another way. This would have been an incredibly frightening thing to do because if they got caught doing this, they were dead. Now, I believe if they had gone back to Herod that they would have been dead anyway, but they believed Herod up front, I think, and now they're being warned not to go that way. And they were obedient to him. And this is absolutely a part of our worship of God. 
What good is it to seek him and to find him and worship him, but then not follow him? If Jesus truly is Lord and King, then obedience is a crucial part of our worship. And we are called to do many stretching and confusing and difficult things in this life. But if you're not obeying God, you're not truly worshiping God. This is a story that starts with Jesus coming. And it ends with these wise men from the East seeking and finding and worshiping. It's a story that's miraculous, but it's the same journey that every Christian has ever followed, that you believe that Jesus has come, that you seek him and you find him and you worship him. And so we see this story helps us understand that, yeah, we get some of the details wrong. It's okay. But this is way more than a well-actually story. There's a few things we can really take away from this. And, and first is this, that absolutely anyone can come to faith in Jesus. They had all of the checks in the wrong column, these wise men, to come to faith in Jesus, and yet they were invited by God himself to come and worship the newborn king. See, we often decide for ourselves who is and who isn't kind of the prototypical, quote, seeker of Jesus. And we think, well, that person is just, they're not living the right life that they would come to it. And that person is just way too far gone. And that person's born in the wrong place and the wrong family. Absolutely anyone can come to faith in Jesus. And if you're a Christian today, and maybe you came at some point later in your life, you probably weren't on the list for other people. And they probably have said, there's no way that person will ever find Jesus. Never, ever, ever disqualify someone from coming to faith in Jesus. Because these magi had no business being there, and yet they're a central part of the Christmas story. Another takeaway we have is that there are many different ways people can come to Jesus. Once again, we think that there's only one way or one route or one strategy There are multiple, like infinite ways that people can come to Christ through a family member or a friend, through just walking into a church one Sunday to finding a track in a gutter. There are are many ways people can come to Jesus through dreams and visions. They followed a star. I don't know any of us that followed a star to find Jesus, but all of our stories are miraculous in and of themselves. There are many ways to Jesus but he is the only way to heaven. The last part I want to leave off on this is what truly makes the Christmas season and the Christmas story meaningful is worship. That's all that gives this season and this holiday meaning is the worship of Christ. Yes, there's some importance in our traditions and our symbols and our holidays and our meals and our family time. They're all important, but they are not it. All that matters is that we worship Jesus. And yes, there is this, quote, war on Christmas. People want to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. People want the manger scenes removed from City Hall. The Starbucks cups no longer have Christmas trees on them. But that's not our battle. If you want Christmas to matter, then worship Jesus. Just like then, it's true now. There will always be people opposed to Christmas because they are opposed to Christ. But if you want Jesus glorified in this season, worship him.
There were endless obstacles for these wise men to be there. There's no reason they should have been there. And yet they sought him, they found him, and they worshiped him. Let's close in prayer today. Well, Lord, we just thank you for this story and uh, this incredible story, uh, this great journey that they made uh, to find you, the king of all creation, and to worship you. And God, I pray for anyone here that's not yet made that journey, who's just now thinking about that, or maybe we've been distracted by things. God, that this would uh, truly end for all of us in this place before your heavenly throne in, in worship. God, I just pray that anyone who's not made that step of faith would know that you truly did come into this world to be a savior of the world, to pay for the sins of all people. That we are in a position that we cannot save ourselves, that you came to die in our place, to pay for our sins, to conquer death, to raise up into everlasting life, that we can be raised into everlasting life. So God, I just pray now that they have placed their faith in you, that we all would continue to place our faith in you, and that we can walk out of here with a spirit of joy. God, there's so much joy in being called your child. So God, may we just take that, uh, that prompting from you and, and find these, these times and these moments to worship you today with uh, joy, with reverence, with uh, just sacrificial giving and obedience to you, God, that we can just trust you more. But God, I pray that uh, you would continue to uh, just bless us and lead us, God, that you are our true light that, uh, that we follow through, through this journey. And so God, I just pray uh, for you to be glorified in that all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.